Welcome to episode 827 of I Am Talk, your weekly fix in all things Iron Man. Radio team, welcome along to episode, what is it, it's 827 of Iron Talk with Coach John Newsom and Bevan James Isles. It's take two, John, isn't it? It is, and I'm a little warmer, and uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to a good show, Bevan. They didn't know you were cold, John. Unfortunately, team, we actually recorded the whole show earlier this morning, and we use a device called a Zoom, which is a really top-end recording voice device, so we have nice sound quality, which isn't the Zoom link or meeting app that we use using right now. And the file showed up on the on the card, but it's just not working. So we're going to take two. Uh, we'll talk about that in a second. But anyway, I'm Talk is proudly brought to you by Morton Sports Nutrition. These guys are the on-course suppliers at most Ironman events around the world. A revolutionary new way to absorb carbohydrates without GI issues. The rock stars of the game are using it. Duffy, Fredino, Blumenfeld, Eden, Kachobli. Check it out at morden.com. If you're not sure where that is, just go to our website and you click on the link there. Also, join our patrons. Ross, give a little, no, give a lot, little. And we've got Matt, the Albatross, Albatross Young. And Joel Sensei Bell. In this week's show, we've got some news. We're going to do a hot topic. And then actually, we're doing a segment that i done because basically we haven't got time to do the whole show again. So on my podcast a couple of weeks ago, well, I, did a, I did a presentation for a business a couple of weeks ago, and um, I got amazing feedback on high performance and a, an angle on high performance, which maybe you've probably never thought of before, which, uh, again, the feedback I'm getting is absolutely huge. And, and I actually released this concept on my podcast a couple weeks ago and it's probably the most amount of feedback I've ever got on anything I've ever done so it's basically a new way of looking at high performance and how you can treat high performance in your life so you can be more consistent with it then we've got quick questions and answers at the end and that's pretty much us Jombo we had Ironman Ken's happen over the weekend what happened we had some smoking fast times. I had Andrew Charles uh, sending me little updates on, on Facebook every five minutes uh, telling me what, what was going on. And I said, oh, Braden Curry's going to smoke Max Newman. Uh, they came off the bike together, but I thought Braden Curry, he'll just uh, nail it. And he did for a while. He was leading, had a pretty decent-ish sort of lead uh, and then faded in the, the second half of the marathon. Max Newman kept his pace uh, steady and even and did a sensational effort. So 46 minute swim, 4.20 on the bike and 2.41 run. Then he came home in 7.52.53. Uh, ended up uh, about two minutes, two and a half minutes in front of Braden Curry, and then another 10 minutes back to Sam Appleton. So, um, yeah, Max Newman has done really, really well in Australia, um, won a number of races, has yet to sort of shine outside of Australia. So, obviously, with COVID, you know, didn't really get to do any racing. He's on the BMC team. Um, so, it'll be interesting to see what he can do later on in the year, whether he, whether he toodles off to Europe to do any racing or whether he just, uh, you know, whether he goes over and gives it all for Kona, but um, awesome result for him. One thing we t- we're going to be doing a lot of, we talked about this earlier, but Braden in his last couple of races has faded at the end. Now, let's be honest, he's got a podium in the World Championship, so it was a pretty good performance. Uh, but the same thing happened here. Now, we know Braden likes to put the pedal to the middle. Does he have to start thinking about racing strategy a little bit? You'd think so. But it's just, it's 
a lot of these athletes just say we race on instinct and just go for it. When you feel good, you go for it. And that's the way he races. So, you know, it's hard to know. Would, would he have run a 244? He ran a 244 32. Would he have run the same um, time if he'd gone out at an even pace and done an even split all the way through? Kind of hard to know. But yeah, you, you, if, if you were racing against Braden at the moment and he got a bit of a lead on you, you probably wouldn't panic too much. Yeah. You go, okay, let's see. It's Show all right. He's, go, he's, he's going for it. He's going for it. I'm going to stick to my guns and and, and see what happens. Well, so, particularly yeah. if you know you could run like a low 240, you know, like he seems mm. to be sitting around at kind of mid 240s at the moment. Um, and mm. let's be honest, Braden could be a 240 guy. Totally. No, he's, he's, he's shown that he's done done that in the past, but yeah. look, we've got to also show these these times are fantastic. You know, it was an accurate course. So I looked at good old Hamish, I don't hit the wall um, files, and he got, uh, what did he get? He got 179.28 Ks on the bike and 41.91 kilometres on the run. So pretty close to being accurate. You know, you always never know where people start and stop their watches, but it's within, you know, six seven hundred meters on the bike and very close on the run so it's just staggering to know how fast these guys are going they're consistently you know sub eight hours at many many races and uh there's a whole host of them doing it so they were going pretty damn fast so good on them just one thing on the men's race before we get into the females uh pete jacobs came in 10th he did a 46 swimmer a 456 bike and then a 335 run not quite sure what happened there but he was talking when we had him on the show a few months ago he was saying he wants to get to Kona and be, you know, he was talking podium Kona. This result does not show any of that form, but, you know, it looks like he had a pretty average ride, so he might have kind of just cruised the run. Um, yeah, so he's yeah. 40, so it's, it's hard to know where he's going, isn't it? I think he's he's past the best of it, and I think, um, yeah, it's just always sad to see guys that have been at the top struggling to to get back to where they want to. And, and we know in Pete Jacobs' case, it's been well documented. He's had um, health issues, fatigue issues that he was able to manage in his sort of, I guess, his, his early 30s. Um, but then it really came home to roost after he won Kona and has, has never been the same athlete since he won Kona, which is such a shame because yeah. it was awesome when he won. He was a nice guy and he had that really nice progression of building through the podium to take the win. And, you know, you're kind of hoping that's going to be a stepping stone of, uh, of continued sort of success but unfortunately for him it wasn't and yeah he's raced quite a bit over the last you know last five to ten years and it's just um yeah just not working for him so real shame it is a real shame uh, we look at the females race what happened there john we had sarah crowley had a good strong day at the office but they were over an hour behind the guys uh so she only ran a 312 uh, rode a 448 and ran a 50 and swam 53 so for an 859.40 so always good to go under the nine hour barrier uh and radka carter felt sort of matched her in the swim matched her on the run um but couldn't quite match her on the the bikes so she was in that five minutes down but still still a good result kylie simpson was in third place uh uh, this was a regional championships. We only had eight female finishers and only 11 male finishers. Uh, and the slots rolled quite nicely. So, if, you know, you've got to be in to win. Uh, we had uh, the, 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 the third Kona qualifier was Kate Bevilacqua, uh, and she finished in sixth place, a qualified with a 9.44. And on the boys' side, the last slot, um, assuming it doesn't roll any further, was Hendrik Golsch, uh, and he finished in fifth place with an 8.19. So, yeah, these, these we were saying championship earlier, we, races... 
We were saying earlier the championship races aren't as strong. And you were saying it's probably just particularly this year, especially with the World Championships happening earlier. But also, it's probably going to be the championship races are the slowest times to qualify for Kona this year. And nothing against Kate because, she, you know, she's been around for a long time. She's checked a lot in the sport. But a 940 to get to Kona is is probably the slowest you're going to see someone qualifying for Kona this year, isn't it? And yeah, she she may well not take the slot. You know, she's a a different stage in her pro career, but you know that's where it would have rolled to, given a couple of the others already had automatic slots. So, yeah, no, it's going to be interesting to see uh, what happens with the Kona qualifying over the next little period. Okay, we've said I mean Des Moines. How do you say? I always get it wrong. How do you say it? I mean Des Moines. Des Moines. Des Moines. Another another kind of this was the was it the American North American North American Regional Championship. Similar thing, field was not what you'd call a rock star field, particularly for a championship race. Good solid field and some good racing. John, what happened? We had nine finishes in the females and uh, 12 finishes in the males. Uh, really awesome dojo domination performance by Sky Monch. Uh, she won by 20 minutes and five seconds, swam 55, biked to 4.41, ran 3.06 and yeah, comfortably had the win in front of Jen Arnett and Kelly Filnow. And on the boys' side of things, a little bit closer because uh, Andre Lopez uh, had a brilliant run, 2.47 um, and was, you know, potentially closing in a bit on Matt Hansen. So Matt Hansen won in 756-47, 759-26 for Andre Lopez. And then Tim O'Donnell was a further uh, 11 minutes back. He was sitting in second for a reasonable period, but only ran a 301. And he may have been racing strategically just to get a, a Kona slot, which he uh, has achieved. And so good to see him back racing after his, his heart issues. So yeah, not crazy close racing, um, but good old Matt. Matt Hansen, pretty consistent performer. He's uh, done a lot of racing already this year. So he's that's his, his fourth race since the 20th of March. So he did a challenge race and then he's raced on the 7th of May at the World Champs, full Ironman. Then went to Chattanooga two weeks uh, to. Yeah, two weeks later and did a 70.3 Chattanooga and then came to Des Moines another couple of weeks later to race. So he's been a busy boy and he's had a win in two seconds. So pretty solid stuff. So just going back to the qualifications for Kona, Jen Arnett and Susie Cheatham and Lindsay Corbin took out the female three slots that were available. Then we had uh, Lopez, O'Donnell and Luciano Trelcone took out the men's slots as well. So those of us already qualified beforehand. So... You know, we get to that point of the year, it's still not quite there, but when the slots are getting pretty low, probably another month from now, we'll kind of know the main field, won't we? We will indeed. I think, you know, most people have ticked the box. You know, most, um, probably the, the big notable ambition, mission is Alistair Brownlee, so we'll see what happens, whether whether he can get back into shape or not. Um, but, yeah, I think most people have... That's have, an interesting uh, question for you, which we didn't talk about in the early show. How far away is Brownlee's retirement? Who knows? Yeah, good point. I mean, it's just injury after injury at the moment. So well, he's not going to be doing short course ever again. You know, not no. not, not, not on a competitive front. Um, he, he he he. If he wasn't injured, you'd still be rating him. But mm. do you think you know? Is there a chance that we see it sooner more than later because his body does seem to be a bit more like glass nowadays? Yeah, you'd think so. Uh, it seems like the driver's still there, and he's got things that he wants to achieve. But it's just whether the body can handle it or not. So yeah, good point. Uh, good news, Sarah True is back in the game. She's a new mum, but she has been racing a long time, but she's only 30 and she did Eagle Man 70.3 of the weekend and had a great race. 
Yeah, and if you remember Sarah True, uh, pre-COVID times, she was the one who had a real challenge to qualify for Kona one year. She had That's right, she did too. A couple of really, really yeah. good races. Paid in the then, run didn't she, once, didn't she? And then, yeah, she did Ironman Germany um, and collapsed there and then had to go do another race to try to qualify, and there may have even been another one. Um, but she has done some quality racing across all distances, so good to see her back. She won, yeah, 70.3 Eagleman in front of Tamara Jewett and Sophie Watts. Tamara Jewett, who we did have on the show earlier in the year just keeps pumping out these mental run times she did one hour 14 13 and to put that in perspective um, next fastest run was over four minutes slower and uh, Sarah True who is a top runner uh, was nearly six minutes behind five and a half minutes behind and Tamara also pretty outran most of the boys, uh, there was two boys that also ran a, a one fourteen, and then Cody Beals, who won the race, was a one eleven, and Justin Metzger was a one twelve. So she's only a few minutes off them. She is mentally fast. It's just crazy. So good on her. That is the real deal. That is good to see Andy Potts racing as well. We got another podium. I was saying earlier, he's, he's almost he's forty five now. It's almost like he's he's getting ready to take on Cam Brown when he hits fifty. Yeah, no, it's pretty cool. You're forty five and you're still podium. Yeah. Totally like agree. It's pretty phenomenal. Okay, another piece of news that's happening is Challenge Road is looking very exciting, in particular in the male side of the race, because we have Fredino versus Langer. It's going to be a good one. Langer went there pretty quick last year, didn't he, John? He did. So last year they had a, a, a shortened course, which was forced on them through um, all sorts of roadworks and what have you. So it's kind of hard to gauge, but Langer was very, very impressive there. And in Tulsa, hasn't raced so far this year. Um, so I assume he must have been injured. I can't remember off the top of my head before the World Champs what his problem was, but there must have been something for both him and for Frodo who had the Achilles issue. Uh, so both first up, you don't really know what form, form they're in, um, but Langer's been showing good form. Fredino is. I was having a look at his stats because between this show and recording earlier today, I've got a great uh, quiz question coming up on Fredino. People are going to start writing him off, but he is insanely fast and has always been fast since pretty much after about his first couple of races. Uh, he's. I, I would put oh. all my money on Frodo. If it comes down to a running race, oh, that could be interesting. But Frodo's always got that up his sleeve that he's going to be first out of the swim or very close to the front. And he's just shown he's really strong on the bike and he matches anybody on the run. But if it did come down to a running race between Frodo and Langer, yeah, he's Langer wouldn't you? that would be, I don't know. I, oh, come I, on, Langer's the probably would. Yeah. If you, if, you take, if you look at the history of the last period of time, he's other than um, Blumenfeld coming came into the game, um, Langer's the best runner in the game. In Kona, yeah, in Kona. Yeah. Um, so, but we haven't seen him go up against Frodo, so I think it would be brilliant if they come off the bike together. There have been a few changes in the PTO rankings recently. It looks like they're putting a bit more of an effort into rewarding iron distance performances, which is really important because if you guys have been listening to us interview some of the pros over the last kind of year or 18 months, they're saying they love the PTO, but it does seem a bit tilted towards the faster, shorter guys, which wasn't really the whole purpose of this. It was making long course more viable for the pros in the long term. So what kind of changes are they making, John? 
Yeah, so this was dated on the 9th of May and it slipped under my radar. But the reason I sort of picked up on it was I thought, oh, Laura Phillip had such an amazing race last weekend at Ironman Hamburg. I wonder how many points she got for that relative to, say, the, the guys that, and girls that did the world champs. And uh, I noticed there that it was a, a bonus on there for your best long long course performance. So I had a, I had a bit of a, a look through the PTO page. And so there is increased points. Um, so any points an athlete scores at the PTO Canadian Open or the PTO US Open, which are coming up later this year, they get a bonus of 5% on those points. So that's obviously trying to reward those athletes that go to the PTO races, which incidentally have fantastic money. But yeah. if you can get your ranking really high at the end of the year, you get another big bonus. So yeah. getting your ranking high is important. And that's good, uh, you know, because let's be honest, we want them to, you know, they, they should be rewarding their own races. Hmm. And, and it also, you know, your ranking helps you to get into the Collins Cup, which again is really good money. So the rankings are important. Uh, in addition, the points scored by an athlete at their best full distance race will be increased by 10%. So you've got to have one, you know, standout, awesome performance, and you're going to get 10% extra points on top of that. So, um, yeah, I think this will make it a lot fairer. It'll mean the long course athletes have a, a better chance uh, as opposed to the, the short course guys that might spank them a bit over the the shorter distances so I, I like it um, and what I did I had a look at the the women's side of things and if we take Laura Phillip uh, for example she did Ironman Hamburg um, and she got 126.59 points and she absolutely nailed that she was only seven seconds off uh, Chrissy's fastest ever time at iron distance uh, and we compare that to Daniela Reef, who crushed it the world champs in convincing fashion she got 137 points so 11 points more but if we compare it um, that win in Hamburg to Kat Matthews who raced second place at Ironman St George she got 124.95 points so yeah. Laura Phillips scored more by having an amazing race at what was a slightly weaker, well, definitely a weaker field, um, but it reflects that she just had an, an awesome performance because she was injured for world champs, so I couldn't go. So to me, it looks like things are starting to, to sort themselves out a bit more. If we look at the women's rankings, you know, it's um, it's mostly long course athletes up up the top. You've got Daniela Reef, Laura Phillip, Anne Howe, Kat Matthews, and Lucy Charles Barclay are the top five, and it's not till you get to Taylor Nibbins, sixth, who's the first short course, you know, half Ironman athlete and then Emma Pallant, Jenny Metzler, people like that uh, a little bit further down as well. So yeah, nice tweak. How much racing happening this weekend? We've got the no MDOT races. We've got the Lakesman in the UK. Now who, who puts it on, John? Um, I'm pretty sure Phil, the big brown whitehead, uh, is part of the <laughs> organising group. Well, I, it's a classic one because I, th I think we thought he worked at a um, a sewage plant or something That's like right. that. That's right. Well, he did. There, <laughs> there was a typo when he sent the email, and he doesn't. He's a, he doesn't work there at all. Um, <laughs> but it was funny at the time. We also got the Keltman. The Keltman is one of those extreme races. Melina did it a few years ago, and it's one of those kind of. Kind of bit like Norseman, you know, if you want to have an amazing experience, that's one of the ones to check out in Scotland as well. Okay, John, we had the, the World Triathlon Series race happen over the weekend. It was a short course race. What happened? It seemed like there was a bit of controversy in the race. Yeah, so fast forward if you haven't seen it because it is a, a race that's worth watching. It was a short course um, Olympic, uh, sprint distance race in Leeds. Nice little tricky course, you know, some hills in there. You come out of transition straight up a hill. Um, if you've seen the results, you'll know that Hayden Wild, our Kiwi, crushed it uh, and came home to take his first ever win, which was brilliant for him. I was expecting these wild celebrations and him to be 
pumped, fully stoked and do a really uh, crazy sort of interview after the race like he often does. But he was very reserved when the camera came on. I thought, what the hell is going on here? And he sort of... He said, uh, oh, it's a bit bittersweet because I'm uh, really stoked to, to take the win. However, it sounds like he may have caused a crash or he certainly was involved in a crash that took down Alistair Brown, uh, Jonathan Brownlee and Yee. And going into this race, I was really looking forward to seeing, you know, Hayden Wilde versus Alex Yee versus um, Vincent Louis. But as it turned out, both Brownlee and Yee went down with a crash and Brownlee now has a broken elbow. Oh, um, that was that was item number one of what was a pretty um, crazy sort of race. Vincent Louis, who was in a breakaway uh, with himself and his teammate Leo Bagier, miscounted. he miscounted on the, the laps on the bike, came tearing through transition, kept going straight, and they put barriers up because that was the end of the bike leg, and he just went crashing into the barriers. Luckily, he broke just in time, but it was a, a bit of a rookie mistake, and he's normally a real consummate professional, so it was just a bit weird. Uh, so that cost him doing anything uh, real big stuff in the race. And then Gustav Eden, who's our two-time 70.3 world champion, champion, was ended up being dead last. Not sure if he ended up taking it easy after maybe a poor swim, but so, so, it's so kind is of it, crazy. Is it, is it, you know, like, is he not quite up to scratch? Like, is it, you know, like he kills it in all the long course stuff. Is it worth him even yeah. being here? I don't think so. Um, but this was a sprint distance race. When it comes to Olympic, he may well be a little bit better. But given the benefit of the doubt, he has been sick. You know, he, we know he didn't race the um, Ironman World Championships because he was uh, he was sick for that. So given the benefit of the doubt that he's on the comeback. But yeah, if that theme continues, you, you would wonder what the hell are you doing there? Yeah. Um, but he is a quality athlete, finished eighth at the Olympics. Um but you, you'd think that doing this long course racing is going to dull the speed for Blumenfeld and for Gustav Eden. Um, so it can be really interesting to see when Blumenfeld comes back to short course racing, what he can actually do and if he's lost some speed. Let's go back to the um, men's race. Just, just Brownlee on the news in New Zealand, he was he was kind of pointing the fingers at Wild. Um, kind of, he didn't name a name, but he just said there's some really dangerous people in the packs nowadays. And it's a bit of a, and obviously he broke his elbow, so he can kind of say, I'm frustrated by it, but, um, you know, it seems like, do you feel the racing is get a bit more dangerous for the athletes? Uh, well, I think that sometimes the course designs are, are quite tricky. Um, like when we see the Super League stuff and it's really tight and narrow and hard to get through, but I think accidents do happen in races. Um, so unfortunately we didn't get to see the incident, fortunately or unfortunately, um, in the race. So it's kind of hard to judge to know who really was at fault, but, but Hayden Wilde was, was, taking the responsibility that uh, he was certainly a part of it. Um, but we see it in bike racing. There's a, there's a couple of Kiwis that do a podcast, George Bennett and um, Sam Bewley, and and they say it's changed in cycling massively in, in recent years as well. Oh, really? Everyone's just taking more and more risks. They're saying like on the downhills, it is like – full noise downhill all the time and it's just like it's life-threatening stuff sometimes so I think it's not just in triathlon there's a lot more um, on the line and that the competitiveness of the fields is is a lot more and so the packs are often bigger um, and yeah you don't want to be you don't want to be giving giving up spaces really so hard to know what happened with females race females was equally crazy um, 
probably not quite as equally crazy, but it was interesting. Um, so firstly, there was a breakaway on the bike, and I've never, ever seen this in a race before, but Flora Duffy managed to remove somebody from the group through being just an absolute weapon on the bike. They were going along, and it was just, it was at the start of the bike ride, there was a breakaway, and there was uh, two others with Flora Duffy who are both, you know, pr- pretty reasonable runners, but Flora Duffy would be going, I think I've probably got their number. Um, but then there was also Cassandra Bogrand, who is just this amazingly talented uh, French woman who's a great swimmer, unbelievable biker, uh, unbelievable runner, but pretty poor on the bike. And she was with the group. She often gets dropped, but she was just sitting in. Flora Duffy took a turn, came back, and Cassandra Bogrand didn't go through to take her turn. So Flora Duffy just dropped off the back and just said, we've got to come through for turn. She wasn't coming through for turn. They dropped further and further back. And so maybe there was like a 10 to 15-meter gap between the front two and back to Flora Duffy, and Cassandra Bogrand was not coming through. Flora Duffy slammed, down the, slammed it down, rode back up to the other two, and uh, dropped Cassandra Bogrand. She did end up coming on to win the race because she ran up from the second group. But that was it was just really, really interesting. I've never, ever seen it before in a race. You see people attacking and try to drop people, but you don't actually see people intentionally trying to ride people off the back of the group. So that was interesting. And then it carried on that Flora Duffy, who is recovering from COVID, ended up getting dropped from the front group herself, which she'd set up and uh, and ended up having, still had a steady race, but she has had COVID. So certainly not, uh, not trying to be too harsh on her. We also had the mixed relays, the World Duathlon Champs and the World Cross Country Champs. What happened to those races? Uh, Germans took out the uh, race in the mixed team relay, had a really good strong performance. Duathlon World Champs, we had a Venezuelan win the women's race, Jocelyn um, Bro. Abu, she took it out, very close racing, only five seconds covering the first uh, three athletes. Uh, Ayueda, who does a lot of short course racing over the years, and she's nearly, she's about 39 or so. She uh, ended up third place. On the boys' side of it, we had a French trifecta um, with Kylian Le Bian taking that out. Uh, again, pretty close racing, only a few seconds in it. Uh, when we went to the World Cross Champs, we had uh, a couple of Italians take out the females race. Uh, Sandra Mayhofer took out the women's race. They ran 10K. Uh, no, this is cross champs. They swam 1,000 metres, bike 26, and ran, 30, uh, ran 7K. And on the boys' side at the Romania race, it was in Romania. French trifecta again. Arthur Serriers took that out in 201. 01, and we had our Kiwis, Sam Ellsbourne in fourth on the men's side and Samantha Kingsford fourth on the female side. So good on them. Okay, this week's discussion, uh, we was a few weeks ago actually because John's been away and we've missed a couple discussions as we've been going through, but it was basically what was the interest in the sub seven, sub eight that happened a few weeks ago. Uh, and we won't go into too much detail here, John, but basically the, the general feeling was, I'd say 60% didn't give a crap. Yeah, and then forty percent. We're kind of like, yeah, this could be interesting. And what were your thoughts going into it? Yeah, it wasn't my classic bell curve, which normally explains everything. I think it was very much skewed to the to the left of not really being very excited about it. And I fell, fell into that camp um, pretty early on. Like I really didn't see the appeal of it. Um, I thought it's kind of fake. It doesn't really mean anything. But strangely enough, as the event sort of beckoned, I did get more and more interested um, just to see if they could do it. And, I th- and the thing that blew me away is just the, the speed that they rode the bike. You know, 
that 55 to 57 Ks an hour for the guys and 45 to 47 yeah. kilometers an hour for the, for the women is staggering. And, and everyone always tries to put a bloody negative angle going, oh, you're sitting in behind. It's like sitting in behind a bus. You know, top cyclists do that. It's 180 K on the aero bars in the aero position for that length of time is staggering. The concentration that's required is, is huge. Uh, and you've got to get off and run a marathon. So it's not like yeah. you can be completely pooped at the end. Um, Joe Skipper said he rode more power than what he would normally do um, in an iron distance race. And both of them said they got off the bike and bodies were twitching and going, holy shit, I'm just about to cramp. Yet they still went and ran a, a 2.30 and a 2.36 marathon. So I guess, yeah, I probably haven't answered the question, but my levels were low and I'd be saying a two to begin with, like a year out. And then... In the final couple of weeks, I was a bit more excited. And come race day, I was actually really pumped to watch as much of it as possible. So it really went up. Um, so I thought it was uh, it was all good. Uh, for me, I was had passing interest. It was kind of like one of those things I'll check in, see how it's going. And if it's good enough, I'll kind of continue on. And that's kind of the experience I had because I couldn't watch the whole thing, but I kind of started watching it, went out, came back, went back and just kind of flipped through it for about an hour and a half. And I, like you, I, I thought it was quite cool in the end. And, and I probably was, realistically, I was probably like a three out of 10. Um, so well done on delivering because it really did deliver. So well done for the crew who put that together. So the, probably the question we've got for this week's discussion is, what did you dislike about the recent, or like or dislike about the Sub-7, but what challenge would you like to see next? So like like this kind of crazy challenge, it was a little bit off the beaten path. What's a different kind of challenge you want to see next in the sport? Okay, John, but let's say thank you to our sponsor. We've got Morton. Let's talk about Morton right now. Yeah, so you guys um, have heard a little bit about Morton. They've got a new product out. It's called the Solid. Uh, Solid. So it's their version of a bar. Uh, I'm really interested to, to get a taste of it because taste is always really, really important. But it sounds like it's a fairly neutral um, tasting product. They've got, got two different flavors, one that is sort of fairly neutral, one that's got a bit of cacao in it. Uh, and they're, 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 I was actually talking to them last night and their point of difference is they're really trying to make a carbohydrate bar. So there's sort of, you've got different sorts of bars out there. You've got your nutty sort of bars that are kind of, you know, whole foods and, and trying to go down that angle, sort of more of a muesli bar. Um, and they're often laden with quite a bit of fat. So they've got good stuff in them, but they're, they're carrying fat, which is not really necessary on, on race day. And then you've got other bars that are kind of more syrupy and, and they're just, just not quite right. So and they've got all sorts of other things going on as well. So the, the focus of this bar is purely trying to be the best at providing, you know, just carbohydrates in, in, in obviously a palatable way. So that's what they're going for. Haven't tasted it yet, but looking forward to giving it a giving it a try when it's uh, available out here. Um, so yeah, also wanted to do a bit of a, a wrap on on what I did over in Kona because you guys will have heard that I've been trialing, you know, the the Morton Nutrition and and been really enjoying it so far. Uh, so what I did on the bike had two of their drink mixes, the 320 mix, and they have about 80 grams of carbs in each. So that gave me 160 grams. Had a couple of gels. Uh, that's another 50 grams of carbohydrate. And then I had a bite of, a, of an EMS bar. So all up, I had around about 210 grams of carbohydrate over two and a half hours. So that's about 84 grams of carbs per hour, which is more than what I would normally have. Um, but certainly all went down pretty much fine and, and I'll be pushing to try to get those numbers up probably closer to 95 grams next time I do a half Ironman. Uh, and on the run, what I loved about being at an Ironman race and knowing that I had nutrition on the course that I 
could find palatable and I was going to use anyway um, was just that so convenient just being able to pick up gels on the course and not having to carry it and not having to, to problem solve out there so I did carry one gel which I incidentally did drop and that didn't matter didn't have to turn around to get yeah. it because I knew I could get another one at the next aid station so that was great uh, and on the run I had three gels and, and coke to sort of fuel me through so whilst you guys know that I, I didn't have a great run uh, it wasn't through a lack of nutrition nutritionally felt pretty good energy levels were good for me it was a case of fitness was uh, not where I'd hoped it would be and also really just struggled with the, the heat for for a variety of reasons so um, I, I know a lot of the other camp athletes were using it as well um, good old Dr. Fieldwood Dave Dwan he was taking on significantly more than me and he had uh, he had a good strong race so look it's um, it's great having on course nutrition it's great having a gel that um, the non-caffeinated gel is basically flavorless um, and through the, the technologies they're using, you know, it seems consistently that athletes are able to get in more carbohydrate than what they have been able to in the past. So, uh, so check it out, morton.com and uh, check out their new bars. And uh, if you're going to a, another Ironman or a 70.3 race, uh, they will be supplying gels on the run course and the bike course. Yeah, and also do it in your training. If you want to have high-quality training, especially your A training days, you, know, you may not use it every time you get out the door, but when you're doing that big training day, if you want, you know, like obviously this stuff works. If you want to have high-quality training, which is going to lead to being a high-quality athlete, invest in this stuff. To, like it, it just seems like such a no-brainer. Like it's a bit of a game-changer. And if you want a better performance, yeah, there's easy wins for performance, and this definitely seems like one of them. So check it out, morden.com. And uh, you can check it out for yourself and get that for when you're racing. Now, John, we're going to be putting, here's a segment I did from my own podcast a couple of weeks ago. It's on high performance and a different way of looking at high performance and how you can get more out of yourself in all areas of your life. Here it is right now. Wait a second, I'm going to push stop here. Here it is right now. So as I was saying earlier, I got asked to do this presentation on high performance, and high performance is a topic that has many aspects to it. So you know, I could, there's many areas I could go with. And as I was saying earlier before as well, was that I, I almost got a bit overwhelmed in designing this talk, and so I was getting a little bit lost. I was, you know, as I was saying, I was teaching this class, and in this class, I had an epiphany around what I can talk around with high performance. And so let's start off with what is high performance. And high performance, there's many definitions. And as I was designing this talk, I kind of thought, you know, I'll just do a Google search, what is high performance? And here's a definition that came up on Google. Succeeding and above and beyond standard norms over the long term. Now, that's a pretty broad, broad kind of high performance definition. Don't know if it's a great one or not, but, you know, we can argue that's the case. So... Then I started thinking about what are some of the ways we can create high performance. And to me, one of the easiest ways that we can create high performance in our life is to consciously put ourselves in environments that create the higher performing self. To consciously put ourselves in environments that create the high performing self. And then also when we're in those environments, we want to go in it with that growth mindset that we often talk about and to have an understanding that you're aiming to move towards growth and learn about yourself every step of the way. And, and, and probably one other thing I didn't talk about last night is to contribute to what that environment brings out so you can help bring that out in others so that you're a valuable member of the environment who also contributes to you know, bringing the best out of that environment. Now, that's one of the best ways to get high performance because 
It's almost like someone else has taken responsibility of high performance in your life. And as I was thinking about this, I was thinking, I love rugby league. Rugby league is probably my favourite sport to watch nowadays. And one of the greatest teams in rugby league, in the Australian rugby league, the NRL it's called for those people in other parts of the world, is a team called the Melbourne Storm. The Melbourne Storm have been, over the last 20 years, have been one of the most successful sporting teams in Australasian sport. They've won many of the, the championships. They've... It's just, I think I was listening to something the other day. They have never had, I think, in the last 10 years, they've basically never had, I think they have one week outside of the top eight, which is basically measuring the elite part of the field. They're just, they're just a very legendary team. And what's really interesting about the Melbourne Storm is throughout the, the, the period of time they've been so successful, they've had these real iconic players, players who will go down as some of the greatest players of all time. And often what happens when you have a team like this and you have these great players, once those great players leave, the team have a rebuilding period. So, for example, they had arguably one of the greatest players of all time, a guy called Cameron Smith. Cameron Smith is a fin- you know, goes down as one of the top five rugby play- league players of all time. And two years ago, he retired. And you'd think after that, there'd be a rebuilding phase that would come after that. And this is often what happens in sports teams. You know, you think when Michael Jordan left, you know, these teams rebuilt. When Kobe Bryant left the, the Lakers, the, the rebuilding phase. You know, in many sports, this is what happens. But the Storm don't do this. The Storm, these legendary players will leave, and they just stay at this level. And why are they so good? Well, basically what they do is they create an amazing environment that brings the best out of their people. And when we think about amazing environments and we think about high-performance culture, here are some of the things that great high-performance cultures have, is that they have great leaders and mentors. These are people who who just know how to bring the best out of the people. They have amazing culture and standards. You know, they have this culture... And, you know, I, I, earlier in one of my early episodes, we talked to Brad Moore, one of the All Black coaches, and we talked about culture, and it's that kind of thing of, you know, when I go to this environment, I just be a higher version of myself. And they have standards. They also have really amazing development pathways for people, so they can look at anybody and understand where they are and understand how they need to develop them and actually have the ability to develop them. They also grow the whole person. So when we think about that, you know, these are some, there's probably more things, but these are some of the things these have. And this is what the Melbourne Storm have. So if you're a rugby league player who has the potential to go on to be a professional athlete, like for example, in New Zealand, we have the New Zealand Warriors and, and they've never won a comp. They've kind of always underperformed. They've had a couple of good years in their history, but they've been going for 25 years now and they've never really been a championship team. So if I'm a young player and I had the potential of going to the Melbourne Storm or the Warriors, and even if I was paid more, I'd probably go to the Melbourne Storm because I would be a higher performing person in my life. Now, when we think about high performance, the Melbourne Storm's obviously a professional sporting organisation. But when we even think of exercise, there's high-performing exercise environments, and there's environments that aren't high-performance. And, and I don't want to pick on the low-cost gyms, but low-cost gyms aren't high-performing environments. Low-cost gyms provide equipment. That's all they do is they provide equipment for you at a very cheap price. And that works for some people, but it doesn't work for a lot of people. And one of the reasons it doesn't work for a lot of people because it's just providing the equipment. If we want a high-performance environment, we want to put ourselves in 
exercise environments that makes people have things like this, things like they have great leaders, great culture, great standards, development pathways, grow as a whole person. Like think about what I was talking about with Alana earlier on before I did the main gist of the show. Alana is performing higher as a person right now in her life. And the reason is, is we put together a goal setting session. Now she didn't do it, she didn't turn up to that session because she couldn't make it, but she did the work. So she's put herself in an environment that has leaders and mentors, cultures and standards and development pathways that are helping her grow as a person. So if you're going on a fitness journey, you could choose a low price equipment only providing environment, or you can look for a fitness environment that will help you be a higher performing self. And this is what you want to think about when it's the easiest way to get a high performance. And it's not that I want to disregard this, but there's often a problem with the high performance environment way of having high performance, is that when you leave the environment, you fall away from this version of yourself and often go to a disappointing place. And interestingly, I was getting my haircut up in Auckland a couple of weeks ago, and I was telling the lady who was doing my haircut about my book. It's kind of my main conversation point right now in my life. And... As I'm talking about my book, she started talking about a guy called Eric Murray. Now, New Zealanders will know who Eric Murray is. Eric Murray is one of arguably one of New Zealand's greatest athletes of all time. Him and a guy called Hamish Bond were two two men rowers in Olympic rowing. They went, I think they went, I don't know exactly, but they went something like eight years without even losing a race. They they won two Olympic gold medals. They didn't even lose a race it wasn't like you know they won the olympics and in the interim they lost a couple of races no they were undefeated pretty much for eight years and then they retired winning the olympic gold medal absolute legend like absolute sporting legend once he's moved away from the, the sporting high performance environment he's put on a bit of weight now i don't think eric murray's massively overweight but he's you know he's he's put on weight he's he's not the athlete he was. And this hairdresser was being a little bit critical of Eric Murray. She was saying it's disappointing that, you know, since he's given up sport, he's kind of become an unhealthier version of himself. And I felt she was being a little bit unfair because it's, well, here's my thoughts. Eric Murray probably went into a high-performance sporting environment around the age of around 17, 18. Like, rowing New Zealand probably picked up around that age. And then from that moment until he retired, which was probably in his early 30s, I don't know exactly, but probably in his early 30s, he stopped being in a high-performance environment. Once he moved away from that high-performance environment, it's, it was probably hard for him to maintain the level that he was with fitness. And why is this? Well, when you're in a high-performance environment, you've got mentors, you know, he probably had you know, nutrition advice. He had an environment that actually made him train hard every day. He would have had self-assessment along the way. He had all these tools and infrastructure that helped him perform to a higher level. And then he stops being an athlete, and overnight, it's like this rug's been pulled from underneath him, and suddenly it's not there. And this is sometimes a problem for people who are only reliant on high-performance environments. And you see this a lot with athletes who move away from high-performance environments, that a lot of athletes, unfortunately, once they finish their sport, aren't actually high-performance people from that moment forward in their life. And this can be one of the problems of high-performance environments. Now, it's not saying that you shouldn't be looking for high-performance environments, and I actually think it's one of the keys to high-performance, is put yourself in environments that bring the best out of you. But with this in mind, we also want to develop what I call self, individual self-management. 
And this is the ability to consistently function at a higher level in your life. And when I talk about this, I'm not just talking about in one area of your life. To consistently function at a high area in many areas of your life. So it would be things like health and fitness. It would be your career. It would be um, hobbies. It would be your relationships in your life. Like you know that person, eh? you know that person in your life who just has it all together. You know the person, the person who has it in a place where, you know, they've just got it all together. They're a high, they're good in their career, they're healthy, they've great relationships, they're content in themselves. You know, it's that person who you know that whatever they do next, they're going to be successful in. That, that to me, they have the individually self-managed, high-performing people. And, and 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 some of the concepts I'm going to talk about today, because I, I based on this around this talk I did last night, but you wouldn't know because I would have talked about it on the show. But to me, high performance is there's two ways to think about this. To know how to live today at a high level and also to deliver in the testing moments in your life. So to know how to live today to your high level. Now let's talk about this one a little bit. So it's that thing that I often talk about is how often do you go to bed 100% satisfied with your day? And is this something you create in your life or is it a fluke? Is it something you create or is it a fluke? So sometimes a lot of people, well I'm going to say this, for some people they go to bed feeling dissatisfied with their day. And, and let's think of what that day looked like. It probably means that they made bad choices around things like nutrition and health. Probably means they spent way too much time on social media or watching TV or just kind of doing something that was kind of unsatisfying. Probably means they mucked around at work. Probably means they did things where they stayed in a behavior for too long. So it might have been that they ate too much food or they watched too much TV for too long. Um, probably means that they didn't do something they know they should have done. So that's kind of the unsatisfactory day. And then if we flip it on its head and say that day which you absolutely go to bed, go, man, I smashed a day, probably mean you look, made healthy decisions, it probably mean you were productive at work, it probably mean you had stimulating conversations, it probably meant that you did something that kind of nurtured you healthily after work. You know, when we think of the good day, that's what we're thinking about. And high-performing people know how to create that day. And, and here's the key thing with this, it's not something that's a fluke, it's something they create. And then the other thing we want to think about is they deliver in testing moments. And what I mean by this is that they, you know, if they do a running race, they actually deliver. If they have to do a big presentation at work, they deliver. If they have to have a hard conversation, which has to have some really big thought, they deliver. If they, have, if they do a hobby and they have to test themselves with their hobby, they deliver. So in the testing moments, in those in the actual moment when you know you're actually going to have to deliver in a moment, high performers deliver in this moment as well. And that's why I like to think of high performance in two ways. It's the kind of the ability to be a high-functioning person on my day-to-day life and to be someone who delivers in the key moments where I'm tested in my life. And if we go back to this thing of, is this something you create or is it a fluke? Because for some people, it's a fluke. They do have the day where they feel really satisfied, but it's not a consistent experience. It, it kind of happens occasionally. Whereas when we think of that high-performing person, they consistently sit in this place in their life, and they the tools and structure that help them be this person. It's not a fluke. They know how to do it. And with this in mind, this is what I want you to think about for yourself. So if you're reflecting upon yourself right now, 
And we go back to that question of how often you go to be 100% satisfied in your day. What mark would you give yourself? And for some of you guys, it will be really high. And I guarantee if you ask somebody who's giving it really high, is that it's something you create. And when it comes to your testing moments, do you deliver? Do you deliver? It's a really important question to think about. And for again, for those people who do, you know, I guarantee you've got good tools that take you to that place. And for those who are listening to us right now and going, oh, maybe not so much, then this is maybe where we want to go with today's talk. So when we think about high performance, one area I talked about is putting yourself in environments. But the area I'm talking about today is your ability to be a high-performing self-manager. A high-performing self-manager. Now with this in mind, as we're talking right now, I want you to think of two times in your life where you performed at high levels. And I want you to look at this in two ways. One is the testing moment. So it might be that you delivered on an exam that was a really hard exam for you. It might be a sporting achievement. It might be uh, a presentation at work or, or a chunky work project. It might be a relationship thing, whatever. When you delivered in that moment, I want you to identify a moment like that. So as you're listening to me right now, take a moment and think, okay, this moment here. And then also when you think about a day where you were in kind of that flow state, that day when you went to bed 100% satisfied with your day. You woke up in the morning, you got up at the right time, you seemed focused all day, you made the good choices around health and fitness, you, you were productive at work, when you connected with people it was in really great ways. You know, you, everything you did that day, you go to bed that day and you just go, you know what, I smashed that day. Now I guarantee you've had those days, we all have, we've all had good days and, and we've all had bad days as well. And we've all had moments where we've tested ourselves and delivered as well. So I, I know you've had those experiences in your life. So then the second thing to think about is what created those outcomes for you? When you delivered on that testing moment, when you reflect back on that, what were the things you actually did that created that for you? When we think of the... The day of flow state, what created that for you? Now, one thing I'm thinking, and there would have been many things, let's be honest, there would have been many aspects for both of those, for the, the key moment of delivery and for the flow state day. But the concept I want to talk to, that I'm going to go deep in today, which is called, you delivered on your high, or, or what I'm going to call your effort moments. Your effort moments. And an analogy I want to give here is... The weight loss journey. So the weight loss journey is an interesting journey because a weight loss journey takes a lot of effort over a long period of time. And a good effort moment for a weight loss journey is food planning. If you want to lose weight, one of the best things you can do is commit an hour or two a week to plan your food. Now that can be that can be looked at as in many ways. It could be as simple as planning a food diary for your week. It could go as full on as actually, like I know people I've worked with who literally on a Sunday afternoon will make all their meals for a week. Now, why is this a really good strategy? Well, if you plan all your meals for a week, then when it comes time to eat your meals, you don't have to think. It's all packaged up. You've probably made good choices around portion sizes and the types of food you're putting in your body. You know what time you're going to eat it. You just grab the food and you eat it. If you don't put that effort in, then what's going to happen is 
the moment you come to eat, you now have to make choices. And if you haven't planned your food, you might just go down and take away place close to work. And if you go to take away place, let's be honest, we tend to make bad choices. We'll tend to make the wrong type of food, portion sizes we bigger, and so on and so on. So when we think about the weight loss journey, one of the best things you can do is planning. Now, when we think about the planning, that takes effort, isn't it? That's an effort moment. If you're going to spend an hour to two hours planning your food, that's an effort moment. But if you do win that effort moment, then there's a higher chance you're going to eat well for the rest of the week, which means there's a higher chance you're going to go down the pathway of you achieving the goal of weight loss. And this is this concept of effort moments. And I'm going to go deeper into effort moments really soon, but because there's different types of effort moments that I want to identify today. But the first thing is, is to, to kind of see the effort moments and understand it. Effort moments lead to high performance. So if we're going to say in the weight loss journey, high performance is represented with you losing weight. You know, that's the ultimate outcome, isn't it? I want to lose weight. So if I put the effort moment of planning food in, is there a higher chance that I'm going to perform the, the, the outcome I want? The outcome is I want to lose weight. If I plan my food, I'll eat better. I'll probably eat better choices of food and I'll eat less of the foods I'm trying to move towards. So there's a higher chance I'll be a higher performer. And that's what effort moments represents is the moments I need to put effort in that helps me perform at a higher level, which will help me get the benefits that I want. Again, I'll put effort in for two hours on a Sunday, plan my food, make my food for the week. In the moment, I have to perform, I eat better food, which means I get the outcome I desire, which is eating less food. Now, with this in mind, I want to talk a little bit about the benefits before the next year I want to break down. So first of all, what are the benefits of, of effort moments? Well, you build trust and confidence in yourself. Because if you can consistently, again, Let's, I'll talk to the weight loss journey at the moment. If you can consistently, every Sunday, plan your food, you're going to start to see the scales go down, go down, and you're going to start to build confidence that you're going to get to your end point. So you build confidence and trust in yourself. The next area is higher level outcomes. And now, this is probably not so much a weight loss journey thing, but when you're a high performer, you get higher level outcomes. And this is a really important thing to think about. A high performer gets higher level outcomes, so they achieve bigger goals. They, they, you know, they, they get better results. It's simple as that. Higher performers get better opportunities. When you're a high performer, people knock on your door for opportunities. And this is in all areas of your life. Think, think, about, think about when the people you know who's climbing up the ladder quickly in your life. It might be in your career, it might be um, in hobby or whatever. These people often tend to be people who are high performers because people above them see them say, this person's a high performer, I need to give this person the next opportunity. So you get more opportunity. You get a better lived experience. I think this is a really important thing. You know, often in life we think about happiness is the goal. I don't know if happiness is the goal. I think living a rich experience where you have all types of satisfying experiences is important for you and when you sit in a high performance place you tend to have a higher or better lived experience you also have a good better mind space because if you've got inner trust and confidence and you're having better outcomes better opportunities and better lived experience where is your mind space it's in a better place and so with this in mind these are some of the benefits oh actually a couple of other quick ones you tend to be more respected by those around you you know, again, if think earlier on I said, think to that person in your life who you know is a high performer in many areas of their life. Do you respect that person? Do you have a lot of respect for that person? I, I'm pretty sure you do. And I think of the people in my life who are high performers, 
I definitely have a lot of respect for those people. So, and, and probably the last one is possibility. And when I talk about possibility is that the higher I go up in my performance, the more I think I believe is possible. The higher I go up in my performance. It's kind of like climbing up a mountain. You know, climbing a mountain is a challenging thing, but the higher you go up, the more you see. And it's almost like the same in high performance. If you're a high performer, the more you go up within your performance ability within yourself, the more you see it as possible within yourself as well. And again, reflect upon yourself in your own life. If you reflect upon yourself in your own life, when you've had moments of growth and you've gone to that next level within yourself, did you see, maybe I could do this as well? And that's what this is all about. So let's go back to this concept of high, or high performance or effort moments. And I want to introduce a couple of things, what I mean. So when we think of high performers, what they tend to do is they've created structures that mean they consistently can put effort in. they created structures that mean they can consistently put effort in. And there's kind of four structures I'm going to introduce to you today. The first is what we call a growth pathway structure. And it can be a goal setting structure as well. So goal setting slash growth pathway effort. The next is a before-the-moment effort. The next is an in-the-moment effort. And then the last is an evolution effort. Now, there's more than this, but here's what I came up with. So so let's break these down. So a goal-setting or growth pathway effort. Now, what this is saying is basically you committing time in your life to put effort in to developing a growth pathway for yourself. Now, we can call this goal-setting, we can call this growth pathway but you know what I mean. And the real key thing when we think about effort moments is putting the effort into the goal setting. Putting the effort into the goal setting. And I'm gonna I'm gonna talk a lot about myself right now because um this is my experience of it. Basically, every three or four months of my life I sit down and I do a goal setting session. And what that does is it sets my direction up for the next moment in my life. And it's a really important thing that I've done for over 20 years of my life. I, I sit down, I go, where am I right now? And I go through these series of questions and thoughts and problem solving to work out what I want to try to get out of the next block of time in my life. Now, we could talk about goal setting, and I'll, and I'll, I'll talk about a couple of things to think about here. But the real thing I want you to think about is putting aside the effort to do a goal setting session. Now, you may be somebody who does a goal-setting session. Again, if you are, massive high-five to you. But a goal-setting session is that thing that people will think they should do and they, a lot of people don't end up doing. And that's where, you, again, going back to Alana earlier in the episode, that's why I'm so proud of Alana, is because she couldn't make the session that I designed for her to do with the group. She just couldn't make that time. But she put the effort in and after, by herself, and now she's experiencing high performance in her life. She's a perfect example of an effort moment. She put the effort in for a goal setting session, and now she's experiencing the reward. Now, I, I kind of, as I was doing this presentation last night, I kind of talked about some things to think about within a goal setting session. And I'm not going to give you a goal setting framework, although you can go sit back and listen to that one that I did a few episodes ago. But basically, a couple of things to think about. First of all, a goal setting session should always start with who am I? You know, all growth forward should be moving you deeper into the alignment of self and moving a deeper evolution of what that is. The next thing is it probably needs to determine where you are and how you want to grow over the next period of time, and it needs to consider your whole life. One thing we don't want to create is a one-dimensional person, and so a goal-setting session should consider things like career, health, um, hobby, connection, and so on. 
there should be a, a deep reflection and assessment part of it. A deep reflection and assessment part. Uh, it should set you on the right path based on some of the things I've just talked about. It also needs to understand your own life. You know, so for example, if you're a parent and you don't consider the responsibilities of that you have to bring to your family, and that would be financially, that would be you know the commitment to your children and so on, then that's not a very wise goal-setting session. So it needs to understand your life so then you create a pathway that is the right stretch for the timeframes that you have and the understanding of your life. And that's the last point. The last point is to create a pathway that has the right stretch. And what I mean by that is it's growing you in a way that's stimulating, but also realistic for the time frame that you have in front of you. So it's not too much of a stretch so you'll just give up on day one, but it's also not too easy that you're not actually stimulated along the way. Now, a good goal setting session should explore things like that. There's probably more and there's different frameworks out there to do that. But the most important thing I'm trying to talk about here today is putting the effort in to do the goal setting session. Now, I'll be honest, my goal setting moment which I tend to do every three to four months is a four to eight hour process a four to eight hour process like I'd be interesting to talk to Alana when we think about Alana and her doing that goal setting of listening to my podcast it'd be interesting to see how long it took her maybe it didn't take her that long mine might be a little bit longer than others but realistically a goal setting growth pathway effort will take you know anywhere from two to eight hours now that's a lot of effort isn't it but What are the rewards of their effort? And again, Alana's a great example of this. She's in a place now where she's performing at a much higher level as an athlete. And it's awesome talking to her about how she's feeling about herself because she put that effort in, a moment of effort, that growth pathway effort, which has put her in a place that she's in right now. So the first area of effort, effort moments to think about is the growth pathway effort. And are you putting the effort in there? Now, if you are, massive high five. And you may have had moments in the past where you've done this thing, you haven't been consistent with it. So you might have, in the past, had a growth pathway session, but it hasn't been consistent. So there's probably different scales of people listening to this. There's someone who's never done it. There's people who sometimes do it. There's people who do it consistently. And, you know, you might sit somewhere on that scale. What, what I'm really trying to encourage is, is a commitment to four to eight hours, or two to four, however long it takes, Every, you know, time frame that works for you could be four to six months of your life. Do you think that if you made that commitment of that effort of four to eight hours, every three to four, six, whatever time period works for you, that you'd be a higher performer in your life? It was interesting, I was watching Richie McCaw, and now Richie McCaw, for those people around the world who don't, who listen to us don't know rugby, Richie McCaw is arguably one of the greatest rugby players of all time, and he's got a documentary, and in it, you watch him doing his goals, and he's literally got a school book, you know, think of a, a book that you'd write in it, you know, with lines, and you know, just basic blank book with lines on it from school, and here he is writing out his goals, He's he's got a commitment to a growth pathway moment, and he puts the effort into that moment, and it's one of the reasons he's a high performer. Now, when we think about the goal setting process, for you, how you're going to do it, you'll learn along the way. So I'm not going to go too much on the goal setting process. You can go listen to the episode a few weeks ago, but you know, the more important message I want you to say is watch your ability to put the effort in every every three or four months or the time frame that works for you. The next effort moment we're going to talk about is what I call the before the moment effort. 
And I'm going to talk a little bit myself here. And again, if you've listened to this show a lot over the years, you'll probably hear stuff I've talked about before. But basically, the before the moment effort is what you do before the moment you're going to experience the thing. And again, we can do this in two ways. If we think back to that definition I talked about earlier, that definition of living today really well and the high performance moment where you get tested. And I'm going to share a couple examples. So the high performance moment. So recently I went up to Auckland to do a body tech filming for Les Mills. I did body tech 117. And I, I watched my last piece of work with them. And I determined there was a couple areas that I wanted to evolve in. So I, I, I did an assessment first. And I realized there was one track in particular I really wanted to work on my contrast. And contrast is the ability to kind of emotionally and physically and vocally create a journey when you're presenting. And in my last release, I, I did a good job, but I didn't think I did a great job. And so one of the areas that I really wanted to focus on was this idea of contrast. And there was a couple of areas I wanted to work on as well. Now, for, I was in Auckland for five days, and each day we had about three hours of work we had to do with the rest of the team. So it was kind of that. And then I'd go back to my hotel room, and I, not, not a word of a lie, I said literally I had like a two-metre area, not even two-metre, like a one-metre area, where I stood in front of the, the mirror on the, on the kind of just think like a cupboard, they had a mirror in front of it. I stood in front of that mirror for over 20 hours, practicing and practicing how I was going to deliver that presentation in my key moment. Practicing how I was going to deliver in that key moment. Now, I've done these for 20 years, and actually, interestingly, last night when I did this presentation afterwards, you know, people asked you questions, and, and Natalie, who, Nat, who I had on the podcast a while ago, that young PT who was an amazing interview, she said to me, Bevan, I couldn't believe you did that 20 hours of work. You know, you, you've done this for so long. Um, you, you know, you, you know your game. You'd expect you to go along and just kind of know how to get along and do it. And it was like, but that's the effort I need to put in to evolve as a person, to actually get on that DVD and perform at a level that I want to be, to be a high performer. That was the level of effort that I needed to put in to deliver that. And that's what it took. That was the before the moment effort. So when I got on stage and got in front of all the production and TV cameras and all the rest of it, I was able to deliver the standard that I wanted to deliver. So why was I able to do that? Because I put all the effort before now that's the that's the key moment. Oh, my wife just closed my door. If you hear that creak in the background, um, that's the key moment. That was the you know. So that's like if you're going for a race, all those effort moments you need to put in. If you're doing a presentation at work, it's all those before the moments before you know before you turn on the projector and you do that presentation. It's all the things you do. Now, also when we think about before moment, is how do I live today well? And if we go back to that concept of me having a you know a higher percentage rate where I go to bed feeling really satisfied, there's before moment more for effort moments that go into that as well. And again, I, I, one thing I don't want to sound is like I'm a bloody genius because I, I struggle with these things as well and it's not that I'm perfect, but I, I'm going to talk about my process right now. So, you know, I'd have my weekly meeting. I, I don't need to talk too much about you with this because you've probably heard me talk about this in the show, but my weekly meeting is me about planning my week around my whole life in line with my goals around how I want to use my time this week to get the most out of my time. That is a before effort, isn't it? It's me spending 30 to 50 minutes before I actually go into my week. And then in my morning, I read my Bevan book, I look at my, my objectives for the week, I write down my objectives for the day, I plan my day before I start to live my day. What is that? That's a before the moment 
effort. So before I even start my day, I put some effort in to set myself up for success in my day. And that's what we want to think about when we think about before effort. Before effort are the things you do before you actually have the experience, on both the testing moments and the day-to-day way. Now, I'll just throw a couple ideas around how you can become good at before effort. So first of all, one is planning and organisation. So for me, it's that weekly meeting, it's that setting objectives in the morning, it's me scanning my diary before I start my day. Second one is the defining moments tool. And I've done a big podcast on this years ago, so you may want to go search on that, but it's basically scanning your day for the two or three key moments where you know you have to bring your A game. And then preloading what you're going to do at that moment. That's a pretty simple way of defining that. Another way to be great at before effort is great communication with your world. Like if you are a parent, and you need to be going out the door and going for a run at five o'clock and you've got a, a partner or someone who, who helps you with the kids, if you don't communicate with those people, there's a chance they won't turn up on time, which means you might not go for your run or you do it flustered in a way where you won't hit your objective. Whereas if you communicate well with those people in your world, they'll turn up on time, you can hit your objective. Another one, let's be honest, weight loss. One of the hardest things in a weight loss journey is because other people make choices, you make choices as well. So it could be that your partner eats a lot more food with you than you, and they can. And so when it comes to dinner time, they overload their plate, and you've got this portion size, and so you feel a bit, you know, it's a bit hard for you. So you could communicate with them as how can they support you in that time, which is more considerate and more supportive of you making better choices. Or when you go out socially with your partner, you how could you communicate with your partner that, or even your friends, that actually I'm on this weight loss journey. And one thing you could support me is is to not ask if I want dessert. You know? That's a really good before effort thing to do, which will make you successful in your moment. Things like mental prep. Like if you're doing a hard session at the gym, if you go into it and don't do any mental prep, the chances of you performing at a high level are less. Setting objectives for your time. Uh, I've talked to her a little bit of that. Setting the right mental energy, you know, like if you know you've got a testing moment in your day, would you put that testing moment in a moment in your day where you know you're going to be tired? Like, do you think that's a wise strategy? Or would you put either that the testing moment at a time where you have better energy, or would you do a recharge before you have that testing moment in your day? Now, obviously, that's a good thing to do before your moment of effort. And obviously, what we're trying to do is we're trying to problem solve and evolve this moving forward. But do you believe that if you were to be really good in these areas, things like planning, defining moments, communication, mental prep, objectives, right mental energy, that in the moment of effort, you'd be able to perform at a higher level? And as you think about this, because I guarantee you're doing some of this stuff really well, you might be nailing all of them, or there might be some areas which you know that actually deep down you're not doing that well in. If you were to improve this area, do you think you perform at a higher level? Now, when we think about this kind of before effort, like I think of myself, my before effort takes me about three hours a week. So my weekly meeting takes me about 30, 40 minutes. Each morning I spend about 10 minutes, 10, 10, 10 15 minutes going over my, 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 my Bevan book, my objectives for the day and so on. And then throughout the day I'll have these moments where I'm kind of trying to do these before effort moments. So that three hours of commitment a week is what it takes for me. But the return on that three hours is massive. Like when I don't do my weekly meet, meeting, I'm a lesser version of myself. Like I really am. I'm a lesser version of myself. When I do it, I'm a higher version of myself. And I like my life better when I do my weekly meeting. 
I, I feel more satisfied. I'm having better, you know, think of those benefits I talked about earlier. I like my life better when I do my weekly meeting. So that three hours, I think it was, I read the other day, there's 168 hours in a week. I don't know if that's true or not, but three hours is a massive investment with a massive return on my investment. And that's when we think about, I've talked about types of effort before effort, but what we're really thinking about is that, that the time you put into the before effort. Because if you can become great at it, I guarantee you're going to be a much higher performer. Now, if you're doing great at it, high five. And if you're not doing great at it right now, where's some weird areas that you can just start to add it in? You know, like obviously I've been doing this stuff for a long time, so I'm a bit, you know, I, I kind of I figured out how it works for my life. But it might be just for now, you put aside 30 minutes where you just got to stop and think about your week for a hit for you. That's where you start and you move from that point forward. The next area is what we call the in the moment effort. Now, obviously, in the moment effort is the tough moments. It's 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 when, it's when you're testing yourself. It, it is me doing the presentation on body tech in the class. It's it's me in my day to day moments. So, probably when we think about in the moment effort, there's a couple of things to think about. Is how do you stay focused on the right thing when you're in the moment? How do you stay focused when you're in the right thing when you're in the moment? Second thing to think about is. Learning what pulls you away from that. And it can be many things. It can be distraction. It can be that things are getting a bit hard. Like, I'll be honest, sometimes on the piano, I'll be doing something that I just find really, really mentally draining, and suddenly my phone becomes a bit appealing in that moment. You know, so sometimes I'll grab the phone. Like, I will, I'll be honest, sometimes I grab the phone. But what I want to get better at is learning how to stay in uncomfortable for longer. You know, like... If, like, let's say when I get to an uncomfortable moment in the piano, let's just say, I don't, I don't know if this is accurate or not, but let's just say I can I can handle 15 minutes in an uncomfortable place. So that means, you know, I can work on a problem for about 15 minutes and then, you know, then suddenly I'm grabbing my phone and I'm just mentally drained. But what I want to learn is can I get to 20 minutes? You know, and that's that kind of in-the-moment effort. Can I set a high level of effort for a longer period of time? And... Probably another thing to, to, to think about in this is executing your prep. Because if you've done good before effort, you're often prepared for this moment. So then when you're in the moment, trying to execute the plan that you've put in place. Uh, things like putting using motivational tools in your moment of effort. Uh, evolving this process. And also dealing with all situations in life. So what we're really trying to think about in the moment of effort is... How do I stay in the effort that I'm trying to sit in at this time? So, for example, let's use the productivity one as well. You've got a project that you want to, you know, do two hours of good quality work on. How do you stay in the good quality work when you're in there is a good thing to think about. Now, I can't really put a time frame in this because it's, it's not so much like a planning thing. But really, if you do your moment before... And, you, you know, each moment before you actually move into the next thing, that could be looking at your objectives, think about those key moments. It's going to take a few, like it literally takes a few moments. And then when you're in it, the effort is learning how well you can handle those moments. And interesting, I, I did a video podcast that will cut, well, I sent out a video. If you want to see my videos, I send them to keepactivewithbevan.co.nz. And basically each week I release these videos. And um, I did one the other day about high-pressure repetition. And I was talking about how athletes, here's a good example, there's a guy called Jonathan Thurston who was a rugby league player and he's retired now but he he kicked some of the most high pressure kicks any kicker could experience. So he kicked, I think he kicked a, a drop goal to win the grand final, he kicked from the sideline to win uh, like uh, just big games, just think big games 
And one thing he did, he was talking about how, what do you do to practice high pressure? So he would take a rowing machine down to the side of the, of the rugby field and jump on the rowing machine and do like a hard 400 meters and jump up straight away and then have to kick the ball. And then he'd jump on the rowing machine again and do it again. And what he was doing was creating high pressure moments for himself to have to practice. And what he was learning was how to stay in the effort in the pressure moment, in that, in that moment of effort. Another good example is there was a, another rugby player called Daryl Halligan, and arguably one of the greatest kickers of all time as well. And he had this thing, I can't remember exactly how many kicks it was, but he had basically, he had 20 spots on the field, and every day when he went to practice, at the end of his practice, he had to get 20 spots, 20 kicks in a row, before he could finish his practice. And he wasn't allowed to go home until he'd got 20 in a row. Now, let's imagine you've, got to 19 kicks, and then you miss a kick, and you have to start again. What's he doing? He's learning how to deal with that pressure of that moment. And he said sometimes he'd be there for an extra two hours, because he wasn't, he'd wasn't. never let himself go home until he got to that point. Now that's brilliant, isn't it? Because he's learning the moment of effort, and he's learning how to sustain that. And if you want to be a high performer in the areas that you're thinking about, this is something you want to do. So if you self-reflect yourself right now, where are you doing really well in this area right now? And where can you actually be really in the moment and perform really well? And where are some areas that maybe you can work on within yourself? And this is the great thing about all of this, is that some areas you probably are a bloody rock star, and some areas you are a little bit weaker. Like for me, exercise, I'm, I'm on a rock star level. Keyboard, eh, not so much. Productivity, I think I'm pretty good. Um... Some other areas of my life, I'm not. And that's, that's, that's what's great about you as a person, is that we've got areas where, where we are strong and we've got areas where we can develop. The last area of effort is what I call evolution effort. And this is the effort of you putting time into developing yourself as an overall person. So this is where it comes into things like study. So like education and study. And education and study doesn't have to be you go and get an exam and you do this, that and the other thing. Education and study is just you growing as a person. So, you know my process, my process is, like, I don't tend to do much formal study nowadays, but I'm always reading and listening, and if I find an audiobook I like, I then study the book and try to apply it. And what you're trying to do is you're trying to learn new ways of looking at the world. And I love this idea of new frames of thinking. And new frames of thinking, so for example, one thing I've been doing recently, I've been learning from this business guy who's just unbelievable. And I've been watching all his YouTube stuff, I've been buying his books, I've been learning so much from him because he's just teaching me a way of thinking that I've never thought before. And as a business owner, I'd say I'm, I'd say I'm an okay business owner, I wouldn't say I'm a brilliant business owner, but what I'm learning from this guy is making me see business in a completely different light. And as I move forward, I now see ways that I can have bigger impact for my business and have bigger improvements on my business moving forward because I've put effort into evolving myself. So through educating myself and learning from higher levels, I'm seeing a different way of seeing the world. And interestingly, if I think back to that kind of analogy I talked about with possibility earlier, with that um, climbing a mountain and you're seeing a new view, well, education is kind of the same thing, eh? I think of any era in your life where you have educated yourself, what you get to see is you get to see a, a higher level of seeing the world. And so when we think about the evolution effort, we could talk about the evolution of self, but really what I'm talking about is bringing tools into your life that help you see higher levels in the areas that are important to you. And that can be that can be your career, that can be your hobby, that can be relationship, it could be many different areas of your life. But if you have an effort, of evolution effort, then 
you know, you are going to see higher levels and you are going to be able to be a much higher version of yourself. So when we think about time commitment, really, if you could commit a couple hours a week, now for me, that's probably about right. I, you know, think of listening to audiobooks and putting time for studying subjects and stuff like that. It's probably about a couple hours a week. Now, when we think about this, so the four areas I've introduced today is growth pathway effort, before the moment effort, in the moment effort, and evolution effort. Here's the thing. All of this sounds like a lot of effort, doesn't it? Like all of it sounds a lot of effort. But if you want to become the person who knows how to live today well and also delivers in your testing moment, if you can set up the infrastructure around this, so you can commit that four to eight hours where you do your growth pathway, where you can commit that one to three hour a week where it's just about you doing that moment, moment before effort, and then you can learn how to sit into hard effort you know, more often or in the moment effort more often, and then you can keep your evolution effort in your life, do you think you're about to sit in that place where A, you have a higher percentage of satisfying days, and B, you deliver more often in those testing moments in your life? Because to me, that's what high performers do. And, and if you're not in that place right now, I'm not beating you up right now, it's, it's cool because we can just start you working on this. But ultimately, if you can do this, you're going to have that inner trust. You're going to have those outcomes. You're going to get better opportunities. You're going to have better lived experience, better mind space, better respect, better possibilities, and so on. So what are the tips for you being successful with this? Well, first of all, I think the most important thing is create your infrastructure. And depending on where you sit on the scale of what I'm talking about today, I think the first thing to say is, if you're someone this is totally new to, the best place to start is just to commit half an hour a week to yourself. You know, commit half an hour a week. Put aside 30 minutes a week where you go, you know what, I'm just going to do some work on myself. Now, over time, if you commit to that and you start to evolve that and commit more time and energy to this kind of effort kind of thinking, you will get to a place where it's a much more evolved thing and it is taking to a much higher level. But if, if you are at the beginning, just making that commitment to like a little bit of time each week that you're not going to compromise on. Secondly, make them a habit. So if I do reflect upon myself, my weekly meetings are habit, my morning meetings are habit. These things are just things that, and to be honest, once they become a habit, they're less of an effort. Now, I don't have to put much effort to put in my weekly meeting nowadays because it just kind of happens. The next thing is, is notice the difference. Like when you do a thing like a before effort or a growth pathway effort or noticing when you stay in moment effort for a longer period of time, notice the benefit. Because the better you can become at understanding the benefit, the more you want to do the thing. And eventually it seems stupid to not do the thing. Like for me, to not do a weekly meeting is me going to myself, I want to be a 60% version of myself this week. I don't want to be that version of myself. I like being the version at a higher level. So I, you know, for me now, I've done it long enough. It's like, this is a choice I don't want to make. Uh, learn along the way. Again, we've got scales of people listening to this. Some of you guys will be rock stars and some of you will be at the beginning. But you can always learn along the way around all of these processes. Enjoy effort. And, and what I mean by this is that, you know, actually enjoy having effort in your life. It's a really important thing to do. You just enjoy having that effort in. Because if you can enjoy having effort in your life, you know, that's that's a massive advantage for you in life. And then lastly, ultimately what you're trying to do is as you learn these tools and you learn these things, is lock in consistency. No, don't lock in inconsistency, lock in consistency. So that's what we want you to think about as you do this, is, is once you start to understand these tools and these effort moments, then lock them in consistently in your life. So 
if I'm going to challenge you, ultimately I, I want you to think about how you're doing in these areas. And it's not a beat up thing, it's just you know reflect how I'm doing and maybe choose one area that you're going to focus on in the next week or two. It might be you, you, you do the growth pathway effort or it might be you're going to do, spend a bit of time in one area. It might be, you know what, you are trying to lose weight, you're going to focus on before effort around your weight loss journey. So you are going to do that lunch thing on a Sunday. Or it might be your in-the-moment effort. It might be that when you practice playing the guitar, you get distracted by your phone after five minutes, so you're going to practice being in the moment for a longer period of time. Or it might be that you're going to buy a book and actually study it. Choose one area. Don't overwhelm yourself. You know, growth pathways aren't about chucking everything on your shoulders. They're about finding a small step that you can stretch yourself with over a short period of time. And then from there forward, you can evolve, you can add and move from there forward. So to recap, to be a high performer, there's many ways. One good way to be a high performer is to be somebody who goes to high performance environments. And I still encourage doing this. But also what we want to become is a great self-manager of high performance. And the best way to do that is to understand that there will be effort and to put energy into winning effort moments. The four effort moments I talked about today was growth pathways, before the moment, in the moment, and your evolution effort. If you can become great at these and evolve these as you walk down your pathway, you being a high performer is guaranteed and you'll get amazing benefits for the rest of your life. And also, how do I always finish this? I go, you'll be a higher version of yourself. Right, John, hope you guys enjoyed that. Um, yeah, it's definitely a different way of looking at high performance. And, you know, if you like I'm always saying, do the work. If you've really got something from that, make sure you do work from it. Okay, John, let's go into Wanger, Wanger of the Week. week. Okay, John, but who have we got here? Okay, here you go. Who is it? Well, I've, I've broken my rules that I set not too long ago because I want to do a number one on the rankings today. And he didn't do any swimming or running this week. So we're going to do number one and number two on our leaderboard from last week. Uh, the reason I want to do number one was Jeremy Ryan. He's a patron of the show. Did 38 hours and 51 minutes last week. Uh, and that was all on the bike. He's over in France and he's uh, riding all over the place. However, the week before, he was over in uh, Kona with us on the Kona camp and did the race over there and Jeremy I think I'm right I don't think he's raced since he did challenge rope with us uh, about three years ago okay and <laughs> so it was a, it was a long time between drinks it was either what year did we go to rope I think it was 29 it might have been no, 2018 it would be 2018 yeah. so four yeah. years I'm pretty sure he hasn't raced since then so he's definitely not a front of the pack athlete and uh he came out of Kona built his fitness through the through the week and then did the race and did a good job, uh, got on a plane and then he got off the plane at home in London. He's a Kiwi but living in London and then pretty much got back on another plane and went over to France and they're riding through there. Um, and what I liked about this, he's also doing trying to do some fundraising for um, for the for, for kids and the UNICEF um, for helping them out with what's going on in this stupid bloody war that's going on. So I got mm. in there this morning, Bevan, did a bit of a donation because, nice. uh, yeah, it was he's doing some, you know, it's always good to throw a little fundraising angle on some of your fun activities. So that was bloody impressive. Second on the rankings this week was Kevin. Uh, and actually, if you want to donate to Jeremy, who's uh, done all this crazy writing, we, Bevan will put the URL in our show notes if you want to go on there and uh, check that out. Also, second place this week in Wanger of the Week, Kevin Powell, with 33 hours and eight minutes of training. He did four hours swimming, 
19 hours, 10 minutes on the bike and nine hours and 57 running. And I'm not sure if he lives in Crete, but he certainly looks like he's over there training at the moment. But that's a crazy amount of training for one week. So Kevin Powell, uh, very solid work. He's been consistent too. Jeepers creepers. Yeah, yeah like that was a bigger week, but he has been really consistent all the way since about November. Uh, longest bike ride, two hundred forty-three point four kilometers, and biggest climb was a seventeen hundred seventeen meter elevation gain somewhere in Crete again. So good on you, Kevin, for smoking it this week. No, not Crete, Cyprus. Sorry, Cyprus. Oh, there you go. Okay, you two are our wingers of the wingers week. Of the week. Okay, John, what was your swim set today? What did you guys do? We did this morning, finally starting to get my mojo back a little bit in the pool. Uh, 400 warm-up, which was made up of 75 free, 25 backstroke, just to get the arms moving in different directions for the warm-up. Then we did four 75s, uh, where we did 25 metres fist drill. So that's clenching your fist um, really tight, and it really helps you to get a slightly different feel for the water because your hands go through a lot quicker. Uh, then we did 25 metres of the long dog drill. So that's where you do the pull below the water and your arms don't really come out. You sort of recover below the water. 25 freestyle, so four times that, but a drill in the warm-up. And then our main set was 400 metres steady, uh, and then 200 metres moderately hard, and we repeated that three times through, so an 1,800 metres in total, having around about sort of 20 to maybe 30 seconds rest between each interval. Uh, then we did two 100s individual medley to just to loosen the shoulders off a bit and finished with an 800-metre ascending effort, so that's starting fast and each 200 progressively slower, so the last 200 is warmed down, and that was three and a half kilometres of action-packed fun. Good times, rock and roll. Okay, guys, let's finish up the show. So first of all, let's say thank you to our patrons. Jumbo, you go first. We've got Robert Cuddles Evans. We've got Rob the Detailed Deliverer Gray. And Parker Barney Day. If you want to become a patron, uh, John's put some notes here. First of all, it's been 17 years of podcasting. It's actually 16, but we, we figured that out earlier. Uh, it's <laughs> only between 5 to $20 a month. You get over eight hours of content. The thing we like to say is back in the old days, you would have paid more for a magazine. And we, you know, if we provide that kind of content for you and your triathlon world, it's a really great way to support us. You also get the Legends show, which I have to do some sharpening up on because I've got to get some intros finished on that, which ain't going to be happening until I've got this book on the market, but soon. <laughs> um, but basically, you just support the boys and what we do. Go www.imtalk.me to become a patron. Also, while you're there, you can get the email or the show's email to you just by signing up on the front page. We've got some coaching, coachshawnewson.com. If you enjoyed what I did today on my podcast, you want to listen to my podcast, go to bevanjamesisles.com. Other content, you can email us at imtalkingpodcast at gmail.com. John, your goss. My gosh, I'll maybe talk about this next week a little bit, but I've started a new project, Bevan. It's Project One Minute. And you oh, know yes. what it is because we talked about it earlier today. Yep. I do, yeah. uh, so Let's pro- tease it. Let's tease it. Project, project One, one minute. minute. Okay. And you're yeah. heading to Nelson. Heading to Nelson. Little Tommy's running in the, the National Secondary Schools Champs in the cross country at the weekend. So looking forward to that. Uh, outside of that, um, yeah, lots, lots back in the back in the saddle. Qantas uh, were consistent, Bevan. Where they're really consistent in delivering shit uh, service. And, well, I know the service wasn't so bad once you're on the plane, but uh, they're consistent in being late and pretty much cocking everything up. Uh, so good on them. Got home at 2.45 a.m. Um, last Wednesday morning couple of several hours later than should have done and yeah consistently every single flight was late for 
I think every single person. I think you're going to consistently miss them in the future. Consistently going to miss them. I will consistently avoid them. It's just, just, uh, I'll give up. I give up. Mm. Don't get me started. We don't want to read. I did watch a lot of movies and they'd had quite a few good movies. And my recommendation was uh, King Richard. I thought it was really good. I'm not a Will Smith fan, um, but there's a story about the Williams sisters. Uh, Really enjoyed that. And yeah, a whole bunch of other movies. A lot of movie watching had, you know, 12 hours on one flight, another four on the next. So it was, uh, yeah, a lot to watch. Not quite that much, but pretty close. Good times. Um, okay, John, let's wrap it up. I've got to get out of here. got things to do because we're running late. So you guys have, you guys have a wonderful week. We will be back to normal next week. Sorry about the – we have to move things around today, but hopefully you, what we did work for you guys. And we'll be same back, same bit time, same bit channel next week. John, let's wrap it up. I'm Russ. I'm Endo. Train hard. Train smart. Kia, Kia kaha. Kaha.